Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. I have leaned on my kids about what they love about certain events and holidays and going to the park. And so if I know from them what they want and what they're looking for out of an event, it helps me to plan around the things that matter to them, as opposed to like the perception of the perfect event in my head. And it has drastically changed sort of how we build our network, how we build our day-to-day activities. And you assume that you know what your children need. My children are seven, five, and two. So I, you know, up until very recently was dictating everything that they did. And now I can ask them what's important to them. And it has drastically changed the way that we approach all activities. That's beautiful. I love that. Everybody, this is Dr. Laura Froyan, and we are jumping into an active conversation here on the Balanced Parent Podcast. I'm sitting here with two of the amazing nerd girls. Is that what you guys call yourselves? Um, the nerdy girls. The nerdy girls who are behind the Facebook account, Dear Pandemic, which I follow avidly. They are doing so much good work on bringing data and facts around this public health crisis that we are in right now. And we're talking about holidays. And Ashley was just talking about how she has seized this opportunity to really get clear on what is important and meaningful for her kids and shape kind of their daily lives around those things. Can you say more about that? So I'll give an example. My daughter recently had her seventh birthday and, you know, we were all in a panic about, can we have our family together? It's probably not a good idea. You know, what about the weather? You know, we can't invite any of her friends. It's going to be an okay birthday for her. And so we asked her, what do you want for your birthday? She wanted to see her grandparents. And that was the thing that was important. So we saw her grandparents, but we didn't see any of her cousins. And we did that you know, in a, a spaced out environment outside so that she could see them and exchange gifts. But there was no big party. There were balloons and she came up to me. It was like a post-it that said, this was my best birthday ever. It was just really meaningful that like by asking her, I actually got what sort of like the, the essence of her birthday was. And you could weigh it as this is, you know, not the way I wanted it to be or 
this was exactly the way she wanted it to be. So I think that this is such a beautiful thing, Ashley. And I think that this is a call to all of us to slow down and be just a bit more intentional. These are things that are available to us regardless of what's going on in the world. And so often we kind of just go through what we think is a birthday, for example, is supposed to be like, we do all of the things, we check all of the boxes, we check Pinterest, you, you know, we line it all up without slowing down and checking in on what we want, what our intentions are and what our kids want. And I love that we're talking about this more, that we're heeding that call more as parents. Malia, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think it's fascinating when you actually ask your kids, what are the parts that are really important to them? How unexpected their answers are, because somehow as adults, we get very wrapped up in those traditions and sort of ticking all the boxes to have the right kind of event. And kids, at least my kids, when I have asked them these things, always surprise me with the parts of it that are really important for them. And I think looking ahead to navigating the upcoming holidays, that's going to be really important too. Yeah, I think so too. You know, talking to public health experts, I was thinking we would be talking about numbers and, you know, checking your like the cases in your county and as you make those decisions. But I think I love that you are bringing it home to this idea of having an intentional experience with your families, that really getting clear on what it is that you want, how you want the holidays to feel, how, like what's important to your kids. And I, Malia, I so agree. Kids always surprise us. I think when we ask, they're so used to us deciding for them. They're so used to not being asked that they light up too. I don't know if you experienced this, but when like, when we ask them and show them in this very real way that what's important to them, what matters to them, their opinion matters to us. It's a beautiful experience. And I also think that once you are clear on what's really important to you for the holidays, then you can work around those things and figure out a way to make that happen without putting yourselves at COVID risk. You know, I mean, a lot of our, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas traditions and, and the other winter holidays involve a lot of sitting down at a table with our family members. And that's a real challenge to navigate. But I think if we get a little more creative and decide what parts of that are the most important to us, we might be able to manage the harm reduction, the risks of COVID spreading in those situations. Yeah. Can you tell us just for like, what are some of the things that parents should be thinking about? I think like, what are some of the things that are kind of maybe stereotypical traditions in the fall and winter holidays that we need to think about that maybe not might need to be shifted? Like what are some of the risk points? Well, for Thanksgiving, for example, and this is similar, everything I'll say applies to any holiday where your family's tradition is to sit down and have a big long meal together, right? Which might be Christmas or it might be the other winter winter, you know, all of the winter holidays where you do that. So at Thanksgiving in my family, what we traditionally do is we get most of my husband's side of the family together and we spend the whole day getting ready to have a huge meal and then sit down at a table together and eat for a really long time, turkey (laughs) and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and stuffing and green bean casserole and so on and so forth. Now, the risks that are involved in something like that are, especially if you're bringing people into your bubble who you don't normally expose yourself to in terms of COVID and other infectious diseases, then somebody could come to Thanksgiving unknowingly carrying COVID and give it to everybody at the table, which is really would be a tragic situation that we definitely want to avoid. And so the ways to think about that are, you know, we can 
either not bring people who are outside our bubble to the table this year. Maybe it's a smaller, maybe it's just your own family or the people who you're already in close contact with uh, your own household. Or you could think about other ways to reduce the chances that somebody is going to come and transmit COVID to the rest of the group. So you could have it outside. Maybe you could have a Thanksgiving backyard party instead of having it inside at a table and just have, you know, maybe let go of some of those traditional foods and the traditional sit down meal and just visit with each other and then have the Thanksgiving dinner privately later. So those are a few ideas. And Ashley, I'm sure you have some ideas too. I sometimes feel immense pressure with traditions that I must I be, do too, yeah. you know, on Absolutely. Wednesday we're at one house, on Thursday another, and then the weekend has a, a variety of activities. And sometimes it's really exhausting to do all those things. And so I think this gives us sort of an opportunity to change up the routine a little bit, knowing that this is not going to be forever. But this year, you know, you try something a little differently and ensure that all the people you care about have a plan and help each other to make those plans, but acknowledging that it looks different and making the most of whatever that different is. Yeah, I love that too. And I, I think like, I don't know about you, but I've experienced as a mother that I bear a lot of the load. And I know that lots of folks in my community also do during the holidays to create the space, to hold the intentions, to keep traditions going, that we carry the stress of that. And I do think that this is an opportunity to strip it away to the bare essentials of what truly matters for a family, right? Mm-hmm. So like if what matters is the feeling of togetherness. If, you know, for in my family, one of the things that we do, we practice Thanksgiving more as a harvest festival than the, like, I don't know, the traditional Eurocentric narrative around Thanksgiving, but um, we see it as an opportunity to express gratitude. And so we always light a candle for, and as a a way to bring reverence to a situation, we light a candle as we say what we're grateful for around the table. And like, that's something we can do on a Zoom call with our family, you know, like that's something that we can do. Like we can still create that reverence, that feeling of gratitude, you know? Absolutely. I have for years struggled with attention within my own family. My husband's parents, who we're very close to, they live right down the street from us and I love them dearly. And they have very rigid ideas about what Thanksgiving is. And to be honest, I don't really like Thanksgiving. It's my <laughs> least favorite of all the holidays, in part because to me, it's a lot about this, you know, very traditional gender roles of the women are going to spend the whole day cooking this big meal. I don't even like turkey. I have really no interest in spending the entire day in the kitchen making <laughs> turkey for everybody else to enjoy. And then the men go watch football while the women clean up. I mean, it's to me, it's just, it's all about this gender role dynamic that bothers me. So I don't like it. And I have for years tried to (laughs) just, you know, try to make Thanksgiving work for me. One of the ideas that I had a couple years ago that has actually worked pretty well is we have the great turkey of thanking. And so I made this turkey out of yarn and made tail feathers for it that are, it's like a toothpick with a feather shaped piece of, of paper glued to it. And you write what you're thankful for, and then you stick your tail feather in the turkey every year. And I saved the feathers so we can see what we were thankful for last year. And so I was just thinking while you were talking that that kind of gratitude practice and making Thanksgiving about being thankful is something that you could do in the backyard, or you could even do it. You could solicit what your whole family is grateful for via email and then put together a lovely slideshow that you all watch together. Or a, like a drive-by turkey of thanking, where you put it out like drive, by your, yeah. like you put it out by your mailbox. Yeah. Or you could start a chain letter turkey of thanking. Yeah. 
There's so many good options. And I think I love this conversation that it's about distilling it down to the essence of what it is that we really want to communicate to our families and to each other in these times. And there's one thing that my family always does after Thanksgiving is we have our big meal and then we go for a walk, like a a nice walk to walk it off a little bit. That walk is still a possibility. It's a lovely, still something that can happen. Even if like we're not all sitting together, you know, we can meet for a walk some part nearby if we're close enough, you know. I think it's easy to have these conversations with our children about what they want, but I find it's harder to have these conversations with, um, you know, parents and grandparents Mm. and some of the older adults who, you know, in some situations are not all, but, but in some cases are approaching, you know, end of life and may not have that next Thanksgiving to look yeah. forward to or are worried about sort of their their mortality um, for, for different reasons. And I think those are harder conversations and require a little bit more sort of probing and, and evaluation, but they're just as important to sort of maintain sort of the whole as a family. I think that's so insightful too. And I, I think that there's a lot of grief happening. I was just on a call with a parent and we were talking about how our kids at the beginning of the shutdown when they were out of school, how many children across the country didn't want to get on a Zoom call and see their teachers, didn't want to even see their friends, their classmates. And I always interpreted that as grief, but I don't know that I've ever really heard like people talking about it, that there's this ambiguous loss. An ambiguous loss is an incredibly difficult thing to grieve because Mm -hmm. it's ambiguous by nature. Right. And in some possible future, it's going to be there again. And so you don't know how like to actually move in a healthy way through the grieving process. And so like, what do you think about like that? The, like this idea that as we approach this holiday season, it's going to be different than it ever has been before. And that there might be grief for our little ones and for us and for the older folks in our lives for, you know, for the grandparents and aunties who we would normally see, you know? I think your gut reaction sometimes is to be defensive and to fight because it's a natural response. And again, I think there's just loss and anxiety on, on all levels. So I'm not always successful here but I try to listen to what the concern is of the family members and try to find like a middle. And that's really difficult. I think understanding like where you're willing to bend and where you really can't bend for safety reasons or like logistic reasons is really important. So I try to like listen to what the request is and understand sort of what the central concern and anxiety is before I flip out and say, no, we're not coming to have dinner at your house inside, you know, with four other people. And, you know, if you offer an alternative, can we do a campfire out back at this other time? You know, sometimes if you understand why somebody is sort of reacting the way they are and feeling the way they are, you can offer more purposeful response and solutions, but it's really easy to go to rage and frustration first. (laughs) So is, I think compassion is key in those conversations too. Malia, did you have something too to add? I was just thinking about how I, in many cases, I try to come to a conversation like this with, with empathy and try to understand why it is that someone would be, you know, for example, with, this is not my personal situation, but we've had a lot of questions on Dear Pandemic about families where within the family, there's a a real disagreement about how 
important it is to take precautions around COVID safety. And so there's a mother-in-law who is fully intending to throw the regular old Thanksgiving. And we get a question from the daughter-in-law who is saying, that's insane. I'm not, I can't do that. And so my advice in those situations is to try and, and come at that conversation with some empathy. Why does she want to throw the regular Thanksgiving in the face of there being a big global pandemic? And sometimes, honestly, I think those conversations don't really have a lot of hope of going anywhere because we're living in an information context where bad information is circulating and some people are just not going to be convinced that COVID is serious. And so, you know, sometimes empathy won't really help except to help you understand that, you know, this is not something you're going to agree on and you're going to have to find a way to protect your own interests and your own family in light of someone else who doesn't believe the facts. I think it's easier to recover when the conversation was from a place of empathy than it is when the conversation ends, you know, started in a place of rage. So I, I agree with you totally that you might, there are still situations where people will disagree and that will be ugly, but I think it's easier to come back if it was approached in, from a place of empathy to begin with. It's fairly easy to understand why someone would want to throw normal Thanksgiving. I mean, yeah. this is an important family tradition. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's not one that I, well, okay, I want to get rid of it, but it's not one that most <laughs> people want to get rid of. Yeah. I think so you can understand why someone would just dig in on this. Yeah. Right. It's, it's an easy thing to understand. And in light of that, we also have to be careful. I, I really don't want to hear news that people had super spreader events at the Thanksgiving table. I don't want to hear that. So, okay. You just said something. What's a super spreader? Oh, this is a super spreaders are people who, for some reason, we don't really know why yet, seem to be particularly good at giving other people COVID when they have it. And so we really don't know why this happens. We know a little bit about the context in which it happens. And so when we see big cluster of cases that all got sick from one person, from one index case, it's frequently at an event where there were a lot of people gathered for a long amount of time, often singing or talking or shouting or exercising, doing something where they were breathing you know, Mm -hmm. or expelling a lot of droplets, not wearing masks and indoors. And, you know, that traditional Thanksgiving checks all those boxes. All those so boxes. I, am a, yeah, I was just checking am, them in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yep. so, you know, and so does a Halloween costume party and a New Year's Eve costume party or New Year's Eve costume party. I don't, I've never been I think that would be yeah. really fun. <laughs> but I that like would that be idea. cool. Maybe 2021. So a big New Year's Eve party that's indoors would also be high risk for a super spreader event. So when I said okay. super spreader, you know, I'm, I'm worried about families that are going to have this traditional Thanksgiving. If somebody shows up with COVID and unknowingly infects everyone else in the family, that would be a real tragedy. It would be very much a real tragedy. So I like this conversation. So I think that the four C's of conscious communication that I teach are helpful here. Thinking about going to a conversation that you're having about planning with your kids, with your partner, with other adults who maybe you would need to be planning your holidays with, bringing compassion, curiosity, clarity to it so that you are clear already. So you go to the conversation clear on what your goals and priorities are. And then with connection in mind, every conversation is an opportunity for connection. And even if we disagree, we can still come out on the other side feeling more connected. So I think those four C's are important to bring to the situation. But I also think that we are in this process as a social scientist. This is super interesting to me because 
we are in the process of developing new cultural and social norms right now, like in going about having these conversations, like what's the new polite, you know, like it's never been, it's, I don't know of any situation where like as a collective humanity, we are developing new social rules and etiquette so quickly. Normally those things shift over 25, 30 years. They're shifting over like two or three months. It's a fascinating time to be a social. Yeah. But what is the new like polite? Like I feel like you all have your, like your fingers and your thumbs in the kind of the current, I don't know, conversation around those things. Like what is the new polite? Like how do we talk about like, are we wearing masks when we meet up at the park for our outdoors distanced play date? Like, you know. I think I have the most trouble in this area. I don't like disappointment people after I'm face to face with them. So I find that I'm just really, really limiting the things that I even agree to. But recently I I hadn't seen my two best friends for the last 20 years and I hadn't seen them since maybe January or earlier even. And I missed them and we really wanted to see each other, but I tried to lay out front what I was expecting. And so we each have three children, like nine children together was a a no-go. You know, I know that their perspectives on meetups are very different from mine. And I ask them up front, like, would you be comfortable wearing masks for the duration of this visit if we're going to be within six feet of each other? And I asked them not to bring their children. And that was like a really hard thing for me to do. But by spelling it out out front, like just sort of made the event not have this just sort of like the tension and the disappointment that it could have if we didn't talk about it ahead of time. And we were able to be outside, you know, very distance from each other and spend some time together. But if we hadn't had sort of like that initial conversation and polite I think that it would have ended in sort of a, a not fulfilling visit for us. And so they're able to, you know, go and do what they're going to do elsewhere. But I have to be proactive in my politeness, because I'm not always able to advocate for the things that are important to me in the moment. And that can come off not the right way and sort of ruin things for everyone. <laughs> well, I think it just engenders a lot of social awkwardness. If you have to mm-hmm. confront someone, it feels like confronting them it in does. the moment about whether or not your expectation is that they're going to wear a mask or their kids are, or if they're allowed to use the bathroom or whatever. And so if you lay out those rules in advance, I think that's really helpful. And also that one of the things that we advocate when we've talked about pods is that you lay those rules out and rules and expectations out in advance. And then you, if somebody is uncomfortable with them, then you can tighten up. You should be responsive Mm -hmm. and Mm open-minded to the idea that other people are going to need to have more restrictions than you do. And in terms of thinking about what the risks really are and what is really necessary, I have this framework that I've been developing around how to think about risk mitigation or how to think about evaluating your risks in a situation. So for Ashley's example, you know, she, she's going to have two friends over and they're going to be outside. We get a ton of questions. I mean, I've been doing bespoke risk evaluation for seven months for everyone I know. And these questions are often just really super mixed up, you know, like, oh, we're going to have this Thanksgiving thing and my sister-in-law is coming and she's bringing her kids and the kids are in school, but it'll be five days before they get here. But my partner is high risk. Like there's just all this stuff going on in the question. And it's like, whoa, this is confusing. This is really hard to navigate. And so one way to simplify it and try and come up with what are the harm reduction things 
we really need to do is to take some of those unknown variables away and just assume that mm -hmm. someone is going to come to your event with COVID. Okay. And also assume that when that happens, someone else will get it and it'll be really bad, right? That's not likely. It's not the most likely outcome, but it's the worst outcome. And so it's the one that you want to avoid, right? I wrote up this analogy for this that might be helpful, which is that, okay, you're planning to go on a hike and you have recently developed a serious allergy to bee stings. And your doctor told you that if you get a bee sting, you could die within minutes if you don't get medication, if you don't use your EpiPen. So you're trying to figure out this hike. Do you ask a bunch of questions about how many bees will be there? And like, what is the real probability of death if the bee sting happens and blah, 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 you know, all these other questions that kind of spin out of control? Or do you just take your EpiPen? Right. You just take your EpiPen. It's not likely you're probably not going to die of a bee sting. You probably won't even get stung, but you take it because that's the precautionary principle. You want to plan for, or not, you know, not expect the worst outcome, but be prepared for the worst outcome. And so same thing for planning your Thanksgiving. You know, what do you really need to do? Well, if you assume someone is coming with COVID and that somebody could get really, really sick, then what would you need to do in order to make yourself feel comfortable about this event? You know, and I think the things we can do are keep it short and keep it outside, maybe have the meal privately and just do the great turkey of thanking in the backyard or, you know, some other way to reduce the amount of time and the amount of exposure that we all have and yet still be able to get together and go about our lives. Yeah. So in terms of, you asked a totally different question, which is what is the new polite. But, you know, I think part of that question really is none of us knows what we need to do. Like, am I going to look crazy if I ask everybody to wear a mask or cancel Thanksgiving? Is this overreacting? But I think it's actually really easy to answer those questions if you just assume that you need to plan on the worst thing happening. Not plan on it. You need to be prepared. Okay. You need to avoid the worst thing happening. Yeah. And then like even just asking, like, the worst case scenario, someone comes someone gets it in a really bad way. Like, how am I going to feel about that? Like, if that's exactly. the outcome, like, am I going to be okay sitting in that place? So my parents are wonderful and, and lovely, but they have some of the kind of the, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the older generation, there's this like invincibility. I don't know if you've seen that, but they have that totally. Like, I'm not going to get it. Like other people will get it, but I'm not going to get it. Like there's 70 year olds and then there's 70 year olds. And I'm not one of those 70 year olds who's high risk. Like, meanwhile, she's my mom's got like anyway I'm not gonna put her health out there but it's there anyway but she is taking all of the precautions that we're asking her to because she couldn't live with herself if she did transmit it and one of her grandkids got sick you know but one of the questions I have that it's been doing in my brain since we started talking today and this show is called the balanced parent so I'm gonna ask you a balancing question so I know that lots of people have friends who or kids who've had it and are having kind of life long negative effects. They now have chronic conditions. We're seeing that there's lots of new things that we're learning about it. So they take it very seriously. And at the same time, there are groups of people who feel like we can't stop living our lives. Like we can't stop having joy. We can't stop having connection. We can't stop having relationships. And so like from two experts then in this who are well-versed in the realities of the situation we're in and are also parents and intentional conscious parents. What do we do with that? How do we balance that and feel good about it? 
So I am a geriatric nurse practitioner, and most of my clinical practice has been in helping individuals make decisions that are difficult. And I've always used a tool called the aid to capacity evaluation. And this sounds like really clinical, but two of the principles from the aid to capacity evaluation are that when you're making any decision, you need to be able to articulate the benefits and the burdens of the decision, as well as the benefits and the burdens of not making that decision. And when you sort of spell it out and have conversations in that way, you can get a better picture of, you know, what really is being lost. And sometimes, you know, you, you favor sort of like the immediate benefits and losses versus thinking about the long term. But that has helped me to like really help people make impossible decisions. And, and many of these decisions that we're making right now are, you know, sort of impossible. I think it's unrealistic for people to feel that they can control these like micro decisions. Like the facts are the facts with the virus being deadly and, you know, being uh, transmissible. And when you sort of like lay out all of the information in a, a way that is collecting how you value doing something and not doing something, you can make better choices and feel more informed at least, even if you don't have to agree. But that is how I try to sort of balance and make decisions and, you know, see sort of what is sort of the piece of value that someone is sort of deriving from these experiences. And a parallel is like, should I allow my older parent to drive is something that I commonly get asked. I mean, in a lot of ways, like, should I see my older relative, you know, over Christmas has a lot of the same sort of benefits and burdens with, you know, evaluating risk and, you know, what does this mean to personhood? And, you know, what does this mean for the rest of the family? And how will I feel if something terrible happens? So I've tried to sort of lean on that education experience. I think that that's really helpful, the benefit to burden ratio. So interesting, Ashley. It's actually related to my beasting allergy analogy here. Because what's really interesting about thinking about what we're trying to do is weigh all these different impossible choices, you know, and like we don't, a lot of the stuff is just unknown. We don't know if there are long-term effects of having had COVID. We know because nobody's had it for, (laughs) I mean, we're coming up on almost a year is the longest anybody has ever had COVID, you know, survived after having had COVID. And so who knows? We do not know what the effects of COVID are in kids right now. We know that they don't end up hospitalized and die of it as often as adults, especially older adults, which is great. But, you know, there's a lot of unknowns there. So when I think about these benefits and sort of what we value and and what the potential harms are of of making a choice, I like to think of the, like the off the diagonal. So let's say to make it concrete, my kid wants to have a December birthday. And so he wants to have a birthday party and I live in Wisconsin. There's not going to be an outside birthday party in, you know, a backyard party in Wisconsin. So I'm thinking about, can I have his friends over in my house? That's the question. There are all these unknowns there. Will the friends have COVID? Will the kids get sick? What are the long-term outcomes of that? No one knows any of that stuff. It's not possible to know. So what you can do is say, okay, well, if, if I do this and no one has COVID, nothing happens. We have a party. If I do this and someone comes with COVID, then what happens? Somebody could get it. Somebody could get really sick. I would feel terrible. That would be bad. That would be a negative outcome, right? And then, okay, so we don't have the party and nobody gets COVID, but my kid is disappointed, right? Or we don't have the party and it turns out one of his friends had COVID and doesn't pass it along. Yeah. We dodged a bullet. So there's like only really one of those to worry about. So it's the same as the the bee sting analogy in some ways. 
Like you have to try and mitigate the risks in the one situation that could really end up being harmful. And also, you know, do some strategizing around the disappointment of not having the party if that's the decision that you come to. And that's, I think that goes back to what we were talking about at first is to ask, you know, what's really important about this? Is it important that you see your friends? Could we go skiing? Could we have a sledding party or something? Yeah, I think we're coming full circle then to this idea of really stripping it away and getting really clear on what does this time mean for us? What is the feeling that we want to have? And like, I forget your kids' ages, Ashley, but like, so my daughter is five this is what research shows is that five is around when kids start consistently having memories of their childhood. Right. And so like thinking about like, these are going to be some of her clearest memories of how we do all of these holidays. And so thinking like really intentionally about like, what is the narrative? What is the story that I want her to tell and that she wants to be able to tell about this time? And I mean, like, so she turned five in at the end of April and like she said, like, this was her best birthday ever. It was just our little family. Her school friends did a drive-by parade and we did a scavenger hunt outside for her birthday presents. And it was like the best thing. She still talks about how awesome it was. And her sister is asking for when her birthday is next week and is asking for a birthday present scavenger hunt. We created a new tradition, like a new family tradition out of that, you know, time. Like, and we get to choose. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like, I think so much of us focus on the lack and what we're missing and what we don't get to do. And I'm not for like toxic positivity. Like, that's not my thing. It's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to grieve. And at the same time, we also get to choose. We get Mm -hmm. to choose what we do with this time with our families, you know? Yeah, I agree. The parallel I think of is like, I really don't want to be teaching kindergarten right now. That's not my skill set. It's not the (laughs) I want to be doing but I remember sending my older daughter to kindergarten and like you'd ask her what she did at the end of eight hours she's like I don't know I don't know what I did and my daughter who's five who's now in kindergarten you know I know like the morning songs and we can like joke around about boom chicka boom and you know I'm helping her like work through reading and again like this is not the choice I would have made (laughs) Um, I would have sent her to kindergarten but like there has been a lot of joy and interaction in the day-to-day kindergarten routine that I was totally oblivious to when my daughter wasn't in the house. And so, yeah, you can have two feelings at the same time, as Daniel Tiger would tell us. I also like to think about the things, I mean, I kind of already brought this up with my dislike of Thanksgiving, but the things that we just don't want to do anymore, like this is an opportunity to let them go and not do them, right? (laughs) Release it, release the pressure. Just let it go. That pressure to like come up with the perfect XYZ for whatever it is your holiday is that drives you nuts every year. Just don't do it. It's a great opportunity to change it up. <laughs> yeah, I love Definitely. that. <laughs> love it. All right. I feel like that's such a good place to like a good note to end on. Thank you both so much for sharing these thoughts. And everybody who's listening, if you haven't already followed Dear Pandemic, please do. They are giving you real-time fact-based information, plus lots of just great recommendations like you heard today. So thank you both Ashley and Malia for being with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of, you have now have like what, four extra jobs because you already have your jobs now you're doing your pandemic and your teachers and full-time like parents at home too right so thank you for making the time for us today thank you 
Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of, um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.